Hey, Chris. Hey, Owen. Do you remember when we did a holiday special back in 2020? Unfortunately. Well, don't you think it's time we did another one? Not particularly, but we did agree to this. Well, what does that make this episode, then? It would be the Dead Wargamer Society 2022 Holiday Special. So, Owen, what have you been working on hobby-wise? Um, I have, believe it or not, actually picked up some Warhammer Underworld. So I've got a team for that that I've got on the, the painting table. I'm actually going to a new player meetup and learn to play event in New Haven on December 11th at Elm City Games. So should be a good time, and I'm hoping to have some uh, Dark Elves or Daughters of Cain, whatever they're called these days, painted up and looking sharp for that. Otherwise, I'm trying to finish up a Relic Blade clue before the end of the year and also get that confrontation commission out the door in time for the holidays. So it's going to be a busy end of the year for painting, but I've got some time off coming up, so hopefully that uh, helps make everything go nice and smooth. How about you, Chris? I've actually been uh, working on some Marvel Crisis Protocol, uh, specifically kind of focusing towards Ultimate Encounters. Nice. With my new job, I'm working with uh, youth, and uh, apparently I can do some programming where we're going to be running the youth through the Ultimate account Encounters. Nice. So uh, that gave me a little bit of uh, kind of a push to actually paint Thanos, as well as some of the Black Order models. And I'm sure they'll get me into uh, the Avengers because I feel like that's uh, the team the kids will be running. <laughs> so, um, you know, been working on that, fun with that. And I've also been uh, prepping for Judgment coming in because Judgment should be coming, at least the rest of my models, any day now. And now with the new God mechanic, uh, or God's mechanic, I should say, it makes me kind of want to sort models out. Like, yes, you can take models, any model with any force, but... um. Being that I plan on running demos for people, being that I plan on traveling to conventions, um, and being that I like having unified forces, I'm trying to separate out models into kind of god packs. Because I think it's a total of 42 characters and uh, six gods. So uh, trying to make sure that each kind of god is going to have the things that it needs to uh, to work. But um, I think I have that list on, and I'm pretty excited about it is that have any relationship at all to the creature caster totally not nurgle totally not corn chaos god demon models or is it is this a completely new set of uh, fictional deities that influence the judgment world uh, they are a completely separate host of uh, or pantheon so to speak mm -hmm. And so, as some of them have really cool stories. I, I have to go a little bit deeper into it, because so far I've really only seen Brulin, uh, which is kind of the equivalent of a murder god, but it's very much not a corn thing. It is a uh, kind of just happy-go-lucky slayer-style dwarf who just destroyed so many things he managed to make himself a god. <laughs> and just like the uh, classic dwarf, you know, kind of doing his thing until he becomes deified for it uh is uh what i'm here for <laughs> which is neat uh it, it, along alongside it though i do know that they are bringing some of their not gw kind of demons to the fray but not the large ones um okay. i know uh if if you go into the judgment discord they actually have some of the previews or the judgment app has uh the actual cards for some of the cat or 
the majority of the characters coming out. And there are some of their like their uh, not blood letter models. They're not demonettes. They're not Nurgles actually do have rules for judgment that that uh, made a pretty big uh, impact on the lineup of characters that they had. I think they added probably at least eight characters that were oh, wow. um, demon characters. Neat. Yeah. And a whole new mechanic with them, too. So demons have some uh, cool mechanics, uh, which is neat. So I'm excited to uh, kind of play around with those. Right on, man. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to getting a demo at Captain Con. This sounds uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. So we're doing the holiday special. You heard it at the front. So for newer listeners that haven't listened to the last one of these we did, in 2020, we did our episode for this time of year where we broke format. We didn't talk about an older war game. We kind of did our thoughts on the year, things we were excited about, things we were worried about around dead games, but it is also a time that we will talk about uh, existing games, mostly just talk about what we're playing. So if you are here just for the war game's history, maybe this is a skip, but if you're here for... Our sweet, sweet dulcitones. Hopefully you get some enjoyment out of this because it's a bit looser than what we we normally do. Uh, it is probably the only time of year that we talk about living war games unless we're talking about a resurrected game. So it does uh, give you some insight into what we're doing these days beyond the, the initial five minutes of each episode. So the format for this is we're going to talk about three games we're excited to have played in 2021-2022. Each give our top three. Three things we're excited about that are happening in wargaming now. That could be a game, an event, a paint line, etc. Three things we're worried about for the future could be a you know, game company that we're worried is on thin ice, could be a general trend in gaming, a pricing model, etc. And then some shout outs for, uh, for the past two years. So this will be covering 2021 and 2022 since we skipped last year because we were on hiatus. Uh, lots been going on. Uh, before we we get right into it, so this is kind of about the, the state of gaming. Chris, what, what are your two cents on where the tabletop wargaming industry is these days? <laughs> We'll get into it a little bit more uh, in the uh, things we're excited about. It's been interesting. I mean, obviously, it's been an interesting past two years. Everything as a whole has changed a lot since the first episode that we did. You know, when we first started this podcast, we were fresh into the pandemic. Everything was pre-vaccine. Um, all conventions were canceled. <laughs> Most game stores at the time when we were first recording episodes were still closed to playing in po- to people playing there. So. I have seen a lot to turn around with that. I have seen, you know, a lot more people playing. Obviously, conventions are a thing again, whether they are masked or not masked or masked optional or what have you. And uh, there has been a lot of new things coming out. It does seem that people, you know, picked up their hobby kind of game for the most part during the pandemic, and now they're excited to put things on the table. I, I think overall, you know, like there's things are a lot better now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll go with that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree on things being better than 2020. I think this is a really uniquely awesome time in wargaming period. COVID has something to do with that, but that's kind of independent of the qualification of it's better than the height of the pandemic. <laughs> I I think the, the wargaming pie has gotten bigger. I think a lot of people picked up the hobby during COVID, and I think we're seeing a lot of new interest in kind of the mainstream uh, mainstream onroads for the, the hobby, like Warhammer. I think 40K in the U.S. is, I mean, for the longest time, it was hard to get the, the starter boxes when they came out with a new edition. I, I think that, that shows that demand really is... Uh, really is aggressive, which is great. It's great seeing people at my, my local game store playing games on the table again. But I also think it's great that we're seeing new people to the hobby 
and it's a different set of new people than I think historically we got. It's not kids coming into the store to play Magic that get forked away and slowly become lifelong gamers. It's people in their 20s and 30s that maybe had an interest, but uh, it's a little bit tricky to get into that had the extra time, had the wherewithal, and I think all the wonderful social media slash content creation options to make learning about the game, learning how to paint easier um, really has helped just make the the overall sector bigger, which is, is great. You know, it, it, even if most of that right now is concentrated in GW products with time, some of those will transition over to stuff that's not GW. Nothing wrong with GW, but I don't tend to live uh, most of the way they do. So I, I, I think that's going to be an interesting, interesting thing in the coming years, and I'm excited for it. So... Having said that, we're going to talk about three games we're each excited for. I should mention, too, this is blind, so we didn't show each other our, our picks. So we may have exactly the same games. Um, <laughs> I, I would be surprised if we got the same games in the same order, but I wouldn't be surprised if we have a lot of overlap. So uh, let's see where it goes. Chris, I'll, I'll let you you start it off. Yeah, I mean, so mine's actually going to be a bit of a dead game Oreo of dead game, new game, dead game. <laughs> yeah so uh number three i have eden eden uh, because we we're talking about games that we were very excited to have played in uh 2021 and 2022 eden ha i've probably played almost the most out of uh, a lot of the games that we're going to talk about today it's been a lot of fun playing it's been a really cool community so far um i've been exposed to a few dead gamers that i haven't met before and it just it checks a lot of boxes where um, it has a lot of cool mechanics. It has some very unique factions. It has a very centralized but awesome storyline in primarily one book. And um, yeah, I think I would, I would probably check Eden off as uh, my favorite thing that's come out of doing this podcast. Uh, <laughs> just because uh, it was, you know, I have picked up a few games as we've been exposed to a few of them as we've gone through some of these episodes. And Eden's definitely one that just like clicked for me. My number two is going to be Necromunda. So uh, Necromunda has been a lot of fun for me. Um, I really do like painting up small groups of unified models. The terrain on the tables that I've been playing with has been really awesome. Um, I actually picked up his own Mortalis kind of set to go with it. The campaigns are something that's great, you know, like um, when I was younger, I read a lot about campaigns, but I was really too young to get into a lot of them. I didn't, you know, have any way to get to a game store. There was no way to really find that group of people. So it's always something that I wanted to experience, but never really got a chance to until, you know, some older experience with Mordheim. But like the newer rules combining a newer skirmish set combined with, you know, some fun campaign um, has been a lot of fun. And that uh, was the majority of what I played when I went up to Canada with Ash. You know, we got in several rounds of a uh, new campaign for Necromunda, and it was a really good time. And of course, my number one is going to be Dark Age. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, uh, everybody's listening to the podcast. Everybody knows, you know, like, the, this is still a game that hasn't been unseated for me. You know, like, Dark Age is really the most fun that I've had playing a game. I did get chances to play it both up at um, Captain Con as well as Adepticon um, in the past year. Both times I decided to break out my old converted... 2018 um simon expo list uh, from immortal so uh <laughs> I, I that list uh, i did actually get that best painted trophy for um out of immortals which was sweet um and people are still you know really impressed when they actually see it on the table which is also sweet um 
And uh, I'm really excited that it still has that basis, you know. I'm excited to show up at Adepticon and bring the Dark Age models with me. I'm definitely excited for Captain Con because it is a really, you know, decent, well-organized event. Like, it's, you know, the Captain Con event is really almost like it never died. Um, you know, Dan just does a really good job of getting it together. And, you know, it's always something that's very open to new players as well, where we've gone through it, where it's like, hey, you know, like if new people want to come in, this is their first time playing. Let us know. We'll bring a new art. We'll bring a different army, you know, like and we'll have a loner. So those are definitely uh, my three favorite for the past uh, year or two. Cheers to Dan. I, I, I second that wholeheartedly. I am, I guess, not shocked not surprised, but a little surprised at how similar our list are. So, oh, geez. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll kick into mine. So, my number three is is Eden for a lot of the reasons that Chris talked about. This is a game that is quickly becoming my favorite tabletop war game. I would say of of all the regrets I have in war gaming, not going harder on Eden sooner is is one of the big ones. It it is it is really a wonderful game. I. I have a new exciting experience every time I play it. It's such a wide game and can be played so differently that I never feel like, okay, we're going to go play this scenario and here's how I need to do it. There's so many different scenario options. It really keeps you on your feet at the table, but it's small enough where that's not too mentally intensive, particularly as someone who's transitioning away from being a quote-unquote competitive war gamer to just someone that likes playing games with his friends. It's it's such a wonderful system. I love the models. I love the rules. I love all the weird, unique little quirks of the game. It, it I just, uh, I can't say enough good things about it. So number two is Necromunda. And I, I would even put a little filigree on that and say Necromunda, but really kind of all the box set GW games. Uh, but Necromunda probably takes the cake of those for me. Chris talked about a lot of wonderful things specifically within Necromunda. I do have to give GW kudos. They've continue to put out really high quality product for a really fair price for all of their box set games. The Necromunda books have been outstanding as someone that also plays Warhammer Underworlds. Great value in those sets, you know, getting two awesome characterful sets plus tables plus dice plus all the kit and caboodle plus rules for 90 bucks for Underworlds is awesome. The $40 expansion boxes with a team and all the kibits with them too is very fairly priced when you're talking about $25 for some of the single GW models in plastic. Uh, 40 for a set of between 4 and 8 is also very fair. Everything I know about Blood Bowl from the people that like to play it that I'm friends with too has also been going great for the year. So I really think, at least on the box set front, GW has been killing it. And I, I hope they continue to do so into the new year. Number one is where Chris and I disagree, or not disagree, but have different uh, different entries. <laughs> My number one is actually going to be Battletech. It's a game that I have loved, loved playing this year. Chris is on a group chat with me, and I think he and our mutual friend Bobby probably dominate about 50% of the chat with just Battletech wonkery. So I, Chris knows how much I love it. I've really been enjoying painting it. I've really been enjoying playing it. And I played it with my friends at my bachelor party. It was awesome. I just love where the universe is going. I love that community. I love seeing that we're getting new, awesome plastic models into the new year, originally this year, but looking like it'll be uh, at Adepticon, actually, is when we get the next Kickstarter from uh, Catalyst Games. But hey, we're also seeing the uh, rec guides come out again, too, for the Oakland era. Uh, we're getting more Oakland books. It just continues to really hit on all gears, and it's exciting to see an American war game really, really kick it off. And you're starting to, I think, see it compete more with GW, which is awesome. I love to see it. So next up, we're going to talk about three things we're excited about that are happening in wargaming now. 
You want you want to kick it off? For me, this one isn't in any particular order. When I get excited, I'm just excited. So uh, the first one I have, Judgment Eternal Champions. It's being delivered soon. I have had a chance to uh, play a bit of it on, what is it, Tabletop Simulator, maybe? Whatever the... Vassal. One of those things. Whatever the thing is that lets you play games on the computer. And... It, I, I know uh, in the last time we did this holiday that I had some concerns about it, and it's really been all improvements. The gameplay is streamlined, but in a good way, and they've added some changes to add complexity. So they've like removed the trickier parts, but added in like a good kind of crunchy complexity to it, which is neat. The move to hexes has actually been a really positive change for me. I do like it over the movement tools. And even though I was initially a little bit worried about the models, because I did love the old 54 mil models, the new ones I got, I've gotten an eight so far. I had a ton of fun painting them. They look great. And it's going to be so much more of a pleasure to bring those to conventions. You know, (laughs) traveling with, uh, you know, five models on 40 mil bases or seven models on 40 mil bases is just going to be so much better than those big, beautiful 54 mil models. Especially when we're flying, so I'm I'm really psyched for Judgment. I might be misremembering. Please tell me if I am. For the Kickstarter, there was the option for a plastic and then also a resin set of models. I you've shown your models on the Discord. They look awesome. Were those the plastic or the resin? Those were the resin. Okay, because that's uh, that's what I got in as a bit of a uh, kind of sneak peek pre-release kind of shindig. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else I'm getting coming forward, to be completely <laughs> honest. <laughs> but uh, like either either way, they have shown pictures of both their plastic and their resins, and I do think that both are legitimate. You know, like I think the plastic is going to be really good for people who primarily just want to get playing right away, or mm-hmm. people who are looking to save money because the plastic models work such a good value yeah and the resin on the other hand the resin is creature caster resin which is beautiful to work with and it actually comes with some kind of alt pose parts i'm sure there's a better terminology for that but uh <laughs> like uh i got a thrommel who's a a very classic fantasy dwarf mm-hmm. and the stock model i believe in plastic just comes with like a solid two-hand hammer but um the resin version you can either use that two-hand standard hammer or you can go uh and do what i did which it had this super cool looking uh, like flaming dragon head hammer where like the smoke is trailing off of it and the fire is coming out like and it just looks awesome and, like that's that's really cool so you know like you get more of a display feel you get a little bit more to customize with and um i think it's cool that both products are, I, I think, are both, uh, both are equally viable. That's awesome. No, I, I, I was going to say, it, I, my guess was those were the resin. They look like the nice, high-quality Creature Caster resin. If you told me they were plastics, I, I it was going to absolutely blow my mind. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's Stranger Things. But, uh, hey, okay, it looks like I'm, I'm on deck. So my number three is a bit of a odd one conceptually because it's not a specific thing. It's just how awesome... It is to get hobby information and the hobby products we have right now. So I could tie this to one particular paint range of which there are more than I can even count. Uh, This is not unique to the past two years, but I think it's only escalated in the past two years. We've seen Monument Hobby continue to expand their line in really exciting ways. We've seen an expansion of GW Contrast. We've seen the introduction of a million, you know, whether it's Vallejo, Army Painter, 
Green Stuff World, totally not contrast paints, but kind of this, the same technology. The mm. number of awesome YouTubers out there where you can learn how to paint. And for the youngins out there, imagine learning how to paint by looking at a magazine article with maybe six steps where it's, you know, one, two, three, four, and having no idea what to do with your brush as a new painter. It, it made it very, very difficult. Being able to watch someone as they move the brush and explain what things mean. Being able to see a palette and when someone says, okay, dilute the paint to roughly milk consistency, you have no idea what the heck that means. Uh, learning how to just avoid really, really common new painter mistakes. So getting too much paint in your wick. All that stuff is super easy to convey in video and super difficult to convey on the page of a paper. And it's been awesome to see as YouTube has become more common, as more new people get into the hobby, just how much better painted models on the table have been looking from new players. It's no longer that, you know, 1990s uh, Duncan Rhodes first model painted where it looks like a clown face on a Space Marine. I consistently see awesome looking armies from people's first attempts because they have the information to be successful doing it. And that's, that's just awesome. Is it specifically the last two years? No, but I think it's, it's continuing to get better. And I, I'm just excited to see that get even better in the future. Man, I thought this was going to be finally the section where we were like a little bit different, but uh, yeah. So <laughs> my next part is very similar where it's, uh, I'm really excited to see that there's more painted models on the table. It's definitely been something that I've been noticing uh, as we've come back to conventions, as we've come back to gaming, that most people are fielding fully painted armies or, you know, at least close to fully painted armies and a lot of the terrain and everything is looking better and i think that's a, a lot of different things that you mentioned it is a lot more accessible now um i think some some of that is improvements in technology you know things like uh, like muses full color terrain like the fact that someone can just glue together a bunch of apartment buildings and it's already fully printed out it's already fully done like and you don't have to put even any paint on it you have to spend you know an hour gluing stuff together and you have a full table i think that's really awesome where it's not you know people just playing with slabs of foam that were like you know dunked in green paint um and a little bit of sand you know same thing with the you know the improvement in the neoprene mats where like that's that's the default now you know when you go to conventions and you go to places the majority of the times that you see you're not seeing you know these these foam tables that have been torn apart by dice and have like big <laughs> pink sections shining through. And yeah, I, I, like I'm going to say slap shop, you know, it's a super dumb name and it's really something that people have been doing for a really long time now. You know, people have been glaze painting over, you know, Zenithal and doing highlights and doing things like that for a while. But like, Hey, you know, like the name catching on and it being something that's popular has made it so it, i think it's a lot more accessible to people so mm. i know there's always going to be that crowd where like every time something gets easier they get upset about it but i'm like very much in the opposite direction you know like and i've I've seen that happen a few times you know i remember people getting like all out of sorts about non non oil like oh well you know you didn't like create your own wash out of you know ink and floor polish and this and that you know like that's what i did and blah blah you know it's like Hey, you know, like if this gets somebody to actually paint their models and happy with the results, like that's that's really all that matters. I mean, come, come on, Chris, you're you're not grinding your own pigments and uh, adding them to Liquitex paint to. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, I I like it. Like you said, you know, like uh, all the new pro the new products coming out, the popularity, the accessibility. It's it's all stuff that makes it easier for people to get in, which 
at outside of making the tables look better, outside of making the games play a little bit more fun, like it it makes the hobby as a whole more accessible to new players as well. You know, where people who might have been on the fence before of like, oh, like yeah, you know, it might be cool to play this game, but you know, I I it's too many pieces. I don't. I'm not artistic. You know, those YouTube videos, those new technologies are just making it so much easier. Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely agree. I like your your particular points on Slapchop. I, I am always amazed when people get upset about that kind of stuff. Like, oh no, something is popular because it helps people. Not that. <laughs> people are silly. So my number two is Necromunda again for some reasons that are a little bit different than what I talked about. I said I was excited to be playing it. I really, really like that GW has continued to invest in, in this game. And I think it's the game that does open, non-competitive, scenario-driven play in an interesting and exciting way. It's not a game where there is a format where you say, you must take this many points and these are the five scenarios we're going to play. And then every year we're going to have a new compendium that updates the point levels and balance. It's not about that. It's a sandbox. People can play in with their friends. And I love it. There, there, there is no official Necromunda meta because nobody plays it competitively. Saying you can win a Necromunda game isn't the important part. Playing a Necromunda game is the important part. And I'm really happy to see more of that on offer from the biggest player in wargaming. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with wanting to play competitive. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to play competitive. But I feel like in the past few years, we've seen the market really skew heavily to catering towards a competitive wargaming market. And I don't think that's what the majority or at least the proportionality of the fan base wants. The amount of attention given to that fan set doesn't necessarily pan out to the proportion of people that really want that in the fan set. So it's just nice to see that uh, that continue. And for a game that I imagine is probably not their most profitable offering, they continue to make big, interesting, exciting offerings. All the new mounted options for Necromunda. I mean, ugh, Chef's Kiss. The new, you know, jet bike riders. The new little Cador wonky leg thingies. It's mm. it's wonderful. I love Love that we're getting these options, and I'm really excited with the new campaign book and hopefully a series of books where this continues to go. And I, I just want more of it. I'm really, really excited that we're even getting this as an option. So that's uh, that's that's my number two. So <laughs> my last one I was kind of on the fence for for a little bit, but Star Wars Shatterpoint. It's tough. You know, like I, I just I love Star Wars too much. Where... <laughs> It's it's really hard to say like no to anything Star Wars, um, even if it's completely ridiculous. I also I like skirmish games, and these two like the two things together are really exciting. I mean, I I have Legion, but I haven't played too much of it, you know, because it's a lot of models, it's a bigger board. Um, there's a lot more going on. I'm hoping that you know it being on a smaller kind of scale will be a little bit more interesting to me anyway. And also that it's more character driven, you know, like I'm mm -hmm. more excited to play with, you know, my favorites and I'm, you know, like I think everybody has their wish lists of like, Oh man, like it'd be so cool if blank, you know? And uh, I also like the scale where that Marvel crisis protocol scale does lend to some interesting terrain setups. It does lead to some interesting models, I was on the I was on the fence a little bit, you know, like and I think 
about the model style itself um was something where i was like looking at it and i'm like at first i was like maybe if they just made like the legion models bigger like it would just look cool and because <laughs> it's like i mean i've been watching a lot of the live action star wars stuff and it's like oh that'd be really really cool but i think part of it, part of it was just like i don't know if i can really you know that that type of painting style that they're using to really get that more um cgi animated feel to it is something i've never really done before so i think that was something that's uh, that's going to be a little bit daunting to me because um I mean, it's going to be really important that you know Rex looks like Rex. You know, like it's going to be really yes. important that Darth Maul looks like Darth Maul, and not like ah, oh, yeah, it's uh, Chris's typical like neon pinks and blues. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are your thoughts about this vis a vis the skirmish rules for Legion? So, I I think that's that's really tough to like jump on. I, I've seen a lot of doom and gloom. Yeah, you know, like um, I am on the Legion forums, and there has been a lot of like, oh, this is just the end. Like, hey, <laughs> the people were like, oh, you know, AMG said they're working on this for three years. They've just been working on this for three years to kill Legion, and like that's why we didn't get this release that we wanted, or like that's why this didn't come out. And it's like stuff still came out over the past couple of years, so it's kind of crazy. It doesn't make any sense to me, but um, you know, like it'll be interesting to see where it goes going forward. Mm-hmm. They occupy similar spaces, but I, right now I don't see that Legion Skirmish is really as widely played as Legion is, um, which was always a, a kind of a disappointment to me because that was honestly all I was really interested in playing. The majority of the lists that I came up with were Skirmish lists, where I'm like, all right, I want to play on a three by three. You know, I want to play with a, a reasonable amount of guys. I don't want to just be dropping tanks and ATSTs all over the table. <laughs> But then you get limited in certain ways with that type of build, too, where um, when you're looking to go more character-based, you're really limited in a skirmish list because it keeps you to one general. So even though there's, like, certain interplays be- designed between generals, like, you know, Yoda and Chewbacca, like Anakin and Obi-Wan, or Anakin and Rex, like, these are things that you can't really do in skirmish, which is why it's really interesting, and I'm definitely excited to see what the actual build list, like, rules are for. Shatterpoint, like, I'm interested to see if it is, you have some play, like, can you take Anakin, you know, Anakin comes with Rex and what looks like two troopers, if you wanted to sub out Rex for, like, Cody from Mm -hmm. the Obi-Wan set that's coming out, like, is it that for each squad, you're taking one leader, one, like, lieutenant, and, like, X points of troops? Is there point values? You know, how exactly is that going to be handled? Because I think that's going to lead some, like, flexibility to it. I'm interested to see how that works. But, I mean, like, right now, I I do think it it looks like it's going to be two very different games. And I think what's really going to determine it is like how dedicated people are to each of those games mm-hmm. like I, I i'm trying to think of like a good comparison really because there's certain things that are like very side by side and a lot of times you know people will still play both i think you know i think it's a similar question that a lot of people are asking like with warcaster and the new uh war machine mark IV rules they have very similar rule sets but very different aesthetics, like is this still going to be two supported games or is one of them going to drop off? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's really going to be what determines it. You know, like if people stop 
buying Legion and all of the Legion players drop the game to go over to Shatterpoint, then yeah, Legion Legion will probably kind of fade out and we'll have an episode to do. But if you know, Legion players like the game for Legion, you know, it does offer a very different experience, especially the full Legion rules, where it's like, I can't imagine Shatterpoint's going to have large vehicles. I can't imagine it's going to really give you rules to get armies of troops on the table, and people do really dig that kind of style of play. It's, you know, if it turns into more of a, oh, Legion is the 40k and you know uh shatterpoint's more of the kill team i think that's the healthy design space for both areas and i do you know i I do get some of the complaints you know i do get the the monetary part of some people being like oh well how come they couldn't just release shatterpoint using legion models like why why couldn't shatterpoint become the new skirmish rules and what have you but like there it's a whole totally different game it's a totally Mm -hmm. different game with totally different rules I, I think it's perfectly understandable to want to monetize that from a business perspective. All the work that goes into playtesting, all the work that goes into writing, all the work that goes into designing, if you're just releasing it as a rule supplement, you're really not making any of that money back. <laughs> like, it's a huge sunk cost as opposed to um, here, you know, we, we put a lot of work, we put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into this, and it looks like they put two three years into it so i think that'll be something that can definitely stand on its own it should stand on its own a lot of it's really going to depend more on the kind of the players and the meta and everything else to see if it's if it is uh something that's going to take over and legion's going to disappear or if it's going to be something that is a like a sister product to like that is here you know here's our trifecta of you know x-wing Legion and Shatterpoint. I've been racking my brain for a good joke, and I can't wait make one. But I do just want to call out that we did talk about uh, three years of design and hashtag design space. So this is sounding a lot like War Machine Mark Three. <laughs> Alrighty, my number one is going to be a weird one because it's for a game I don't play, but you know I do follow industry trends, and I, I want to give credit where it's due. It's going to be MCP's business model. So Marvel Crisis Protocol. It was doing a lot of what I'll call typical Asmodee things, where they would release an expansion and it would have a model for one faction in it, but it would have a bunch of generic stuff or scenarios that everyone wanted to get. So it was a way to try to convince the players to buy every single freaking release they put out. To AMG's great credit, they have stopped doing that nonsense. And I want to give them props for, for not continuing on that absolute chicanery. Uh, it was something that drove me absolutely nuts about X-Wing and got me to drop the game. It's been what's keeping me away from MCP because when they started, that's what they did. But I've been really happy to hear that you no longer have to buy some of the models to get the mission cards. There's much, much less generic upgrades or upgrades that are absolutely mission critical for players uh, in each release. It tends to be much more focused on a team or that particular character. So I'm so excited that we're getting away from trying to twist people's arms into buying stuff they don't need. Um, credit where it's due to, to GW, they used to kind of sort of do that with Warhammer Underworlds. They've actually introduced a new format where you just play the deck that comes in a box or a one of four generic decks for a team, and that's it. They're, they're, they've really given players the option to avoid deck building if you want to do it, and they're promoting it, which is awesome. So more of that, please. M- less of trying to get me to buy crap. I don't want more more options. I'm a happy man. Yeah, that makes sense. So 
let's talk about some things we're not super excited about for the future. Chris, do you want to uh, start us up? Yeah, I mean, um, I think this is going to be one that we've uh, discussed before, but something that keeps coming up more and more and more and more is proprietary or bespoke equipment and dice for games. It really seems like it's where the majority of games are going nowadays. And just personally, it's outside of the fact that it's extra money, <laughs> um, which like, okay, I, I can kind of deal with it. My biggest issue usually runs into is that I like to travel with multiple games. And uh, a lot of the times I've been traveling, I noticed that like my accessories are actually taking up more space than my models are <laughs> like, yep. because, you know, well, this game needs these movement widgets and these special dice. And then this game needs these special dice, these cards, these widgets, you know, and sometimes even like, well, this game needs its own special terrain, you know, or its own special mats. So it becomes really difficult to travel with games, which, you know, like, I'm just not a big fan of. I really like, you know, going out to Adepticon and being able to play four different game systems over the course of a week. And that makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, I do understand, like, design space wise, that there's certain times that like certain tools are important like certain games wouldn't function uh without the tools like x-wing would not work with a tape measure yep that makes sense in that case but there there's certain games you know and I'm, I'm glad they they converted everything over to inches for like kill team or is it new kill team i think it was new kill team where originally they're like oh we're gonna use like you know shapes and a widget. And it's like, why? Why are we doing that? <laughs> like, you know, that's this just not something that is necessary. Um so I I'd like I'd like to see that kind of changed up a little bit. You know, I, I, I am excited for Rivenstone coming out. I do think that, you know, like I would have liked to just see them use inches. I do believe their tools, they've even set her inches. <laughs> like, you know. Um, so rather than, you know, have it be like, oh, well, short, medium, long, far short, this, this, and this, and that. It's just like, you know, let it be inches. So like if someone wants to use a tape measure, great. The, you know, the default for, you know, a lot of people. If someone wants to use widgets, great. But definitely traveling, especially with some of like the longer range kind of things that I think are like 12 inches or so, like that's a big widget to tuck in a bag. And especially when you're combining like those widgets with Marvel widgets and with a bunch of other stuff, it just it it gets cluttered, it gets tough, you know, and then if you lose like a part of the set now, you're kind of stuck because none of these companies just offer like, oh, you lost your, you know, range three Marvel widget. Like, here's another, you know, like you can just buy it single, you know, like you lose it, you have to buy the whole set again. And that's, uh, you know, I'm not a fan, you know, same thing goes with dice, you know, even looking at things like. Uh, one of the ones that's been the worst was uh, Betrayal, like looking at Betrayal, the board game. It uses these basically D3s and uses some other systems like that. It's like you could just use dice. They're on D6s. Like you could just <laughs> use regular dice easily and it would be fine so that you don't have to get these special dice to go with the game because then you lose dice and it's sad. I lost one of uh, our friend Dan's dice. It rolled off my balcony. It was gone for like a year and then I found Oof. it. But like... <laughs> You know, because then you just feel so bad, like a D6. It's like, all right, I got like 3,000 of those, you know, but like, oh, man, I lost this proprietary thing that's going to cost $30 for like a set of six is kind of a problem. That's absurd. The more of that a game puts into itself, the less likely I am to give it a shot or I'm going to give it some serious side eye going into it. There have been a couple games with those quirks that have been able to get me into them. 
I can accept a game having proprietary dice if they simplify things and make things go faster and they don't charge me an arm and a leg for them. So Warhammer Underworlds, great. Alchemy, the game, actually does something interesting with proprietary dice. I really like that game for that. Dust was kind of the limit of, well, I can count fives and sixes. It's not rocket science. But (laughs) the the, the dice were cheap and they were small. So it was like, well, uh, okay. Like the, the game was good enough even with that, for me to still want to play it. There have been a couple, like, MCP being just typical Asmodee nonsense was enough. Like, I like Marvel. All that? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Call me when some of that's gone. So people are slowly wearing me down on that one, but that does drive me nuts. Cool. So I guess it's on to me. So my number three is fan projects charging for material for IP they don't own. Uh, This is something that is always going to be a little bit of a gray area, but I think most cases are pretty clearly either okay or not okay. And we're seeing a lot of people trying to see how far they can push towards the not okay line without getting sued. And it is irksome to me to see more and more of this. So let me give you some specific examples. There's a content creator in Battletech whose stuff I've otherwise enjoyed who has created their own fan uh, technical readout, TRO, basically like a release with a bunch of mechs in it that they've totally created, they've done the art for. Great, awesome, fan creation, cool. They also have a Patreon. Hey, fine, you've been doing a lot of work for the community, I have no problem with that. They're releasing the TRO, though, for an undisclosed limited amount of time, only to their patrons, and then eventually they'll release it to everyone else. That's a pay gate. I don't love that. I've seen a lot of this with board games that I play. Kingdom Death has some very bizarre stuff in this flavor to me if you're going to do something with somebody else's intellectual property you need to put it out for free kind of period the end there are ways you can be a content creator and still get paid i I don't begrudge anyone doing let's plays of a war game and getting paid for that and having a patreon for that yeah that that, that's totally understandable because the content is viewing the game being played it's not content for the game but when people put out hey, these are better rules for this game. I'm going to use the IP and charge for it, as happened with Kingdom Death. I don't, I don't love that. So I know lots of people want to get paid to be fans of a game. I, I would love it if I could make as much money as I do at my day job to be a fan of Eden and Dark Age. That'd be great. Until, you know, whoever ends up owning Eden or Kulmini or not hires me to do that as my job, that's not going to happen because intellectual property works that way. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to put that politely, but I see more and more people trying to toe in. I know there's a lot of chicanery on the GW side, but that tends to be more clearly infringement. So like charging for 3D printable models that are clear infringements. Mm-hmm. But I, I continue to see a lot in this space where it's like, guys, come come on. <laughs> what, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that I see too. You know, and I think on the other side of things, on the uh, Mickey Mouse side of things, essentially that, you know, there there are really big kind of things happening with people making, there's multiple, multiple sculptors who are out there making alternate models for Legion and MCP. And like, to some degree, it's like, okay, like some of these things, some of these things are, are, are neat looking, you know, like it's definitely cool to see like alternate gulps and poses for like the winter soldier that's that's something that's cool but they are 100 percent stealing that ip like nobody is paying 
Disney. Nobody's paying towards, you know, likeness rights. Nobody's paying towards any of these other things. And that's that's not cool. And I, I'll, I'll even push back against what I imagine someone will say in response to that. I don't think you or I are staying up, you know, at night worrying about whether or not Bob Iger can buy his next yacht because somebody made right. a 3D printable bottle. What's crappy about it, what's potentially crappy about it, is if this gets too egregious, there will be a crackdown and quite possibly an overcorrection. I don't mm. think any of us would be in a situation where GW pulls a Nintendo and says, sorry, you can't stream our product. That would be bad. Right. So I, I think a lot of these brands have, understandably, because, you know, lawyers aren't zero dollars. And also, you know, sometimes, uh, you know what, it's more eyeballs on the product. It's kind of like marketing. And for the most part, historically, it's been pretty good. But yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, there are very, very open people doing infringement out there. GW has cracked down on some of them. You can make the argument that with, uh, what is it, Warhammer Plus, they they went a little hardcore on cracking down on fan content. I know mm. that was a controversy. I'm going to confess that I'm not an expert in it, so I'm not going to try talking about it because I just don't know. I do hope that we see some more restraint from the community on trying to monetize the like their passion for these particular games. So my next thing was uh, actually uh, friendly local gaming stores shutting down. Mm. I've seen a lot of it over the past two years, and it's tough because on like one hand, I've seen the hobby grow as a whole. One of our positives is that things are so much more accessible. People are getting into games who weren't getting into games before. You know, younger crowds are starting to come back into gaming. You know, like kids are picking it up. You know, like teenagers picking it up. Even like adults, just adult. You know, like it. It isn't something where it's like, oh, this is what nerds do in their basements. You know, like the unfortunate part is that. People are buying a lot of stuff online. That's become an, like a way bigger trend. I mean, as Amazon's growing gigantic for the same reasons and other stores are shutting down, same thing's happening in gaming. But I think, you know, where that's different is that, like, yeah, it's sad if a mom-pop grocery store shuts down or a bookstore shuts down. But, like, those things, it doesn't affect the life of the thing itself you can read a book on your own at home yeah you can you know like you don't need to go into a grocery store to get whatever a game store for a lot of people is needed for a community because even if you have the space to set up a huge table in a room with terrain and this and that and everything else that's not getting new people into the game you know like it's fun to play games with friends but I mean, are you just inviting all strangers over to your house? Like, you know, and I think that's where there's been issues. I mean, we, uh, I've lost a few locally. Um, and, you know, like that's something that, you know, in the long run could definitely hurt communities as a whole. I mean, I've definitely, I've played more games either in people's houses or at conventions than I have at game stores in the past year or two uh, yeah. because like so many of my local shops have closed down. Like it's now a big commute for me to get anywhere. And yeah, that's, that is a hundred percent something that I'm worried about. And I mean, same thing, like you said too, is, you know, these 3d prints, you know, the 3d print, you know, whether it's a friend that's 3d printing for you, you know, like I like a lot of what 3d printers give us. I love, you know, the, community that comes out of it the creativity that comes out of it and for terrain it's been such a gigantic breakthrough in um a lot of aspects but <laughs> it's it's definitely something that um uh, definitely 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 has affected the community i think it's sometimes in ways that people don't really 
like see or notice. Yeah, no, it, it's striking to me that you've been playing less and less in LGS because I think of the two of us, you tend towards games that are things that you can find in most LGSs. You know, I don't play mm-hmm. MCP. I don't play um, Titanicus. I don't play, you know, a, a lot of the, what is the other one? Legion. Yeah. You know, th- those are games that I can go to pretty much any store in the country and, and find some of. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's not a great situation to be in. Cool. On that cheery note, uh, my number two is Privateer Press. Uh, they, they were on our list last time. They, they're on our list again. Santa just can't talk, stop talking about them. I have a lot of passion for that company. I, I had a lot of passion for War Machine. Mark III was not my jam, but I, I'm not a hater. You know, I, I don't want them to fail. I was really hoping that Mark IV was going to be the thing that really innovated and started doing some exciting things. And in my opinion, from having read the rules, admittedly, I haven't put models on the table. It wasn't what I was hoping for to fix the problems I had with Mark III. I'm kind of putting a pause on that. I'm planning on trying it out in 2023 once a few more things have been released, once the rules get a little bit more finalized. As we all know, even if you say, okay, these are the final rules, uh, six months after contact with a customer, things change pretty significantly. (laughs) So I'm kind of waiting for those early kinks to get worked out. But even outside of... Mark IV, and I'll talk about some of the other trials and travails there. If I can make a really terrible War Machine pun, I would say that Privateer Press feels a little unfocused. Yeah, They have a lot of games going on, and I kind of don't know what their overall strategy is. So they're still supporting Monster Apocalypse, but that's now kind of sort of a board game that they kind of sort of aren't going to do more for, but they continue to put releases out for in resin. So I don't really get that. Warcaster, not not my cup of tea. I tried it. I, I don't really dig it. I get what they're going for. I'm not their target customer. Um, I don't have a bad thing to say about the game, but a game that is intended to let you paint a small number of models, but use them iteratively. So models come on the table, get killed. Okay, they come off. I can resummon them on. I get the idea. They're trying to let you buy less to have something like a bigger game. If I play a bigger game, I want lots of models that I like the spectacle. Between that and the custom dice, the, to me, a little bit strange round format, it just, it, it didn't scratch the right itch for me. But they seem to continue to want to support that. And now we have Mark IV. So we probably should talk about the initial model drop. Uh, it was exciting. They are moving to full 3D printing, which I think is a really cool way to go. I think it will help them a lot in terms of keeping the cost down internationally if you can have functionally local manufacturing centers so not having to worry about shipping something across to england gets around some concerns re-tariffs i i like that conceptually but the print quality we saw around gen con didn't blow people away that was unfortunate uh the studio models they put out i think are very interesting and exciting as we see more come out that may be something that entices me back in but I would say it's a shame that they weren't more on their game for this new technological rollout that they made something of a big deal of, only to have that kind of fall on their face. I I don't know where they're going. They seem to be doing nine different things and moving in a lot of different directions. I hope they find something that works for them and they focus on that. Right now, they just seem a little all over the map and... Uh, 
I hope we don't have to do an episode about War Machine next year, but I would say it's not an impossibility. Yeah, I, I agree with everything there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the last one's going to be kind of like a double-edged thing. For me, I, I think, you know, we've covered a lot in this episode about, you know, how some of these really popular IP games are doing really well and they're growing the industry. I think, you know, Marvel Crisis Protocol, I think Legion, I think Shatterpoint, you know, even even with Song of Fire and Ice, you know, like a lot of games right now are big, well-known IP games. And those are the ones that are really some of the most popular out there um, outside of 40K and AOS. I, I think it's tough. I think it's really tough because I do really love those IPs. You know, like mm -hmm. I absolutely love Marvel comics. I love Star Wars and even some of the other IPs. It's been really tough for me to stay away from like Fallout because it's like I love Fallout. <laughs> so there's so many cool things out there, but it makes it really tough in the industry to get some of these other games in. And I kind of think that's a shame because. There are a lot of unique games out there that have terrific stories, that have really cool universes that honestly would make fantastic like movies and franchises and things like that if they were well developed, you know, but they're not really getting out there. They're not really having like a fair shake of it because of what they need to kind of compete with. So I think I think that's tough. You know, I don't think that if it came out tomorrow that Eden would have grown to the point that it did. Yeah. That's sad. I think Eden has like one of the coolest stories and like backgrounds and fluff sets out there, you know, and the same goes for like Dark Age. These are these are games that have really cool universes that have really cool models, have really cool mechanics, but um, it's not really getting into that many hands because of what it's necessarily competing with. I think, you know, like Carnival's a, a good kind of thing that's that's yeah. in that thing where like the carnival story is is solid i read through that book i'm like that's actually pretty nifty i thought it would be way goofier and it like it's written really well it and it's a neat game like there's some cool mechanics to it you know if it had come out six years ago seven years ago i think it would be doing you know like it would be doing infinitely better and that's a little sad to me. You know, like, I love that new people are coming in. I love that, you know, people, you know, like, the industry is growing. And I love that, you know, I actually get to play with Marvel and Star Wars models on the tabletop. That's never something I, I thought I'd be doing. But uh, I, uh, you know, it's a little bit sad that it's it's limiting some of the creativity, some of the things that are, like, coming out there, you know, like, just like people say with movies and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, it's comic books all the time now. Like, you know, you never would see something like a big trouble in Little China coming out, <laughs> you know, like nowadays. I, I think it's it's tough for the reason we've talked about in the past about gaming having a bit of a network effect. So kind of in the same way that there's lots of things on the Internet that do the same thing that Facebook does, but you need a critical mass of people all in the same place to really have a shot at becoming a competitive Facebook. And it's tough because there's lots of people that try to do that, but they never hit that critical mass. And therefore they never, they never have the same utility that something like Facebook does. And I think you have always had that in tabletop board gaming. I think the new X factor is the premium at which space in a local gaming store is at now. 
talking to a few LGS owners, I know Magic sales have been somewhat flat. Uh, they Magic seemed to do fine through the pandemic. A few oddball card games also really blew up. Pokemon apparently was a, was a big thing. They, I, I don't know. Kids still like Pikachu, I guess. <laughs> but role-playing games have become such a larger segment. Board games have become such a larger segment. Most local game stores are small, and they're not, you know, I, I don't see any LGS owner pulling up to the store in Alexis unless they were already independently wealthy. You're not getting rich off of that business, but you need to stock it with things that make you money. And I think it's harder and harder to justify, particularly after you've tried to dip into one of the smaller games. And there's lots of smaller games these days, and it didn't turn around the same way that a Legion or MCP or just getting another rack of D&D uh, Prime miniatures would get you. It's tough to make that jump. Uh, it's something I, I discuss with my LGS a lot, and we're finally getting Battletech in, which is is not a small game by by any metric at all. So it's a uh, it's a tricky situation. I don't doing what we do. I am never going to argue that you have to buy your game in a store. We talk about games that you can't buy in a store anymore because they don't make them anymore. But I I do think from growing these player bases, it does make things challenging, and that's. Uh, that is a shame. Alrighty, my number one. So, um, we've talked in the past about, I'm going to say something, and this is going to get me hate mail. And uh, to our listener base's credit, it has never actually gotten us hate mail. We have gotten plenty of commentary and criticism. It's always been in good faith, which I greatly appreciate. And I'd say the majority of the time, I actually agree with the criticism. You can see that on our, our Discord. We, we are open to being told that we are are wrong and uh people disagree with us as long as it's done in good faith so i i appreciate this may engender some discussion my number one is a concern about an increase in i wouldn't even call it polarization i'd say extremism in uh wargaming uh with a political bent which has been a very new thing to the extent it is i'm gonna talk for a little bit and hopefully this makes sense to chris because we haven't talked about this before so what I'm not talking about here is people doing talking about politics and wargaming in the same breath. I, I don't care if you you know are on R slash Sig Marxism. I don't care if you're a fan of Razor Fist on YouTube. People are allowed to do that. Sometimes their opinions bother other people. That's just the nature of politics. It's why many shared spaces don't let people talk about politics or religion. It's one of the first rules you learn to go into a bar when you're a kid. Probably shouldn't mention I went to a bar when I was a kid, but something that you do learn. <laughs> And that's just a fact of life. I, I don't uh, don't hang out in either of those places, but I don't begrudge them for wanting to do their thing. There's obviously going to be trolling online with the political nature. There's plenty of that in wargaming. It doesn't bother me. It's not worth feeding the trolls. Not going to talk about that. What I am going to talk about, though, is language that is getting towards something that really does worry me. So the specific example I'm going to talk about is a company called DSG Games. They make a product called Freeblade that I was actually interested in. I think they make really cool models. I've got the rules. I think they did really good rules. Um, I went on their website, and they had something called diversity initiatives. And I'm probably giving away too much of my own personal politics. I clicked on that because I was interested in, I, in a good way. So I'm going to read you part of this. Some of this I agree with. Some of this is where things go off the rails. So they have some preamble, which is all kind of typical. Don't commit a hate crime when you're playing a game stuff. Uh, then getting to different segments. Combating hate. This is simple. If you hate, you're gone. Great. Love it. 
If hate takes place on a platform we control, we remove the offending person or persons in content. If it takes place on a platform which we are associated with after bringing to the owner's attention not enough is done, we end our relationship with that platform. Awesome. Great. I don't want to uh, go on your forums and see a bunch of uh, Nazi hate stuff. Love it. Here's where we get a problem. Under the section, helping to create safe and inclusive gaming spaces. DSG Games will continue to create and nurture an inclusive environment which welcomes everyone into our hobby in which no action or omission of action is permitted that fosters exclusion or hate. So far, so good. Love it. We will show through both words and actions that we value and embrace diversity. No problems there? Great. This includes taking direct action to eliminate any subcultures that threaten our values or attack our customers, colleagues, partners, or patrons. So for folks under 25 out there, direct action basically means we're going to beat you up. Now, you can argue that there's types of direct action that don't involve violence, in that sentence, there is no action to be taken that does not imply violence. This is the master's degree level of saying, we're going to punch Nazis. Now, if you said, we want to punch Nazis, okay, great, I've got no problem with that. Punch Nazis away. No issues for me. It's the vagary of it that concerns me. I grew up in the punk rock scene. For those of you who don't know, there was a Nazi problem in the punk rock scene in the 80s, back when I was in diapers. Prior to me getting into that scene, that problem was taken care of. Boston, it was uh, not a particularly pleasant taken care of, but folks were removed. So, good, great, we like that. The problem became, everyone agreed Nazis are bad. But you ended up in a bizarre purity cycle, where if you didn't like someone, you were jealous they were dating a girl that you wanted to date, you got to open for a band they wanted to open for, the accusation came out, this person is a Nazi. Well, when that happens, and your subculture's reason to deter is to punch Nazis, the person who got accused of being a Nazi had two options. One, get punched. Two, punch the person making the accusation. That's really stupid. I hated it. It's the reason I left the punk rock music scene. When I see this creeping into wargaming, I have no problem saying we want to get rid of people that are actual Nazis. My issue is, much like punk rock in the late 90s in Boston, there are no actual Nazis in wargaming in America. If you live in Poland, you live in Eastern Europe, parts of France, Portugal, different story. First time in, in the world that America admits we're not the entirety of the world. In America, I travel everywhere. I've been to California, I've been to the Midwest, been to the East Coast. I have seen zero, absolutely zero, right-leaning, never mind Nazi. I've never seen a MAGA flag in an LGS. I've seen tons of pride flags. And to be clear, that's not the inverse of a MAGA flag. I do not see Nazis in the scene. I know zero people that have known or seen a Nazi come into their LGS. The concern about this is designed to creep in and give justification to assaulting people because you don't like them. That's shitty. That would get me to leave Wargaming. So to be really, really, really blunt, the more I see of this, the less likely I am to keep doing this podcast, the less likely I am to keep playing games. I'll find another hobby. It's really, really concerning. This is creeping in. I think a lot of it is as Wargaming becomes more online, this becomes more and more normalized, and people that, thank God, have not been exposed to violence don't know that this will happen. But I will do everything I can to make sure this doesn't happen, and I would just ask people at home to maybe think before they reflexively try to be, you know, the tough person online and, and say, you know, take a really, really hard line stance on this. To be clear, when I saw this on GSD Games' site, I thought about it for a while, tried to justify it, but decided, you know what, not worth having a relationship with this company. Not buying their products anymore, 
We'll say this to their face if I see them in person. They'll be at CaptainCon. If they hear this and want to talk to me about it, happy to have the discussion. But this is the thing I feel pretty dang strong about, in case you couldn't tell from the language. Uh, so, yeah, that's my little soliloquy. Chris, any thoughts on that? Hey, man. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. So, that's tough. I think that this is, as a whole, you know, it's tough because it's it's something that I feel like you and I could actually probably have a discussion about. That'd be hours long. Mm-hmm. And um, it, for me, it like it encapsulates so much more and affects so much more than wargaming because it's 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 a general thing. It's, it's this is this is how everything is going. Like like just arguments online, video games, music, everything turns into you know just immediate insults and accusations and things like that and it's it is revolving around a lot of you know cancel culture and that's not to say that it, like and that goes into the whole like well what exactly is the difference you know cancel culture and consequences and all of that fun stuff you know like because i, I do think that there's a major major difference i do think hey you know like if you do something stupid say something stupid having some consequence for your behavior is reasonable, but to be attacked by a mob for something that might've been a mistake for something that you you did is a little bit of an overreaction. I definitely agree. This is not isolated to wargaming. It's been concerning seeing it creep into wargaming. I know I, I don't, I I shed zero tears for Hmm. whatever his name is. They got let go by the folks at Catalyst Game Labs for saying ridiculous things online. Mm Mm-hmm. That happened to have a, a you know right leaning bent to them. He said stupid things. He <laughs> lost a business contract for that. Okay, right. that that happens. He was very upset about it and expressed it in stark terms. Mm. Great. The BattleTech community, to their great credit, overwhelmingly you know you go to the, the Reddit, any mm-hmm. of the discords for any of the podcasts that uh, are large in the community. I listen to most of them. Discussion of it banned. We don't want to talk about politics. This is not an invitation. That was awesome to see. I really hope that DSG Games stuff was either a boilerplate they got for someone or is some 19-year-old intern that decided they wanted to sound like the toughest person in the room. But when I see stuff like that, I get immediate flashbacks of being in a music scene where, for people that don't know, there was a um, club of uh, young gentlemen called FSU around Boston, read the Rolling Stone article, uh, Punk Rock Fight Club from 2007 to uh, see how that went. They started by punching Nazis, and then suddenly, you know, people that they just didn't like ended up dead. Who'd have thunk? The intersection with violence is the part that concerns me. When I read the statement by DSG, I hope, being charitable, that means, like, obviously if you show up in, you know, SS regalia, that's going to be a problem. No concern with that. What I worry is it means if I show up in my Harry Potter shirt, well, I don't like some of the things that J.K. Rowling has said online. Uh, Time to take you out back. That worries me. It worries me in a few ways because, A, I've seen most war gamers. I am not as worried about my physical safety with them as I am in other places, to put that, that gently. And two, I, I, I do think, though, that there, there is a, a risk of this just continuing to escalate. And I want no part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's different in every community. I think video games is a good example where we've seen lots of dumb things on this front, but overall, it's kind of something that people grumble about online but you're able to insulate yourself from and i I hope that's where wargaming lands is this is something dumb that happens but eh, for the most part it's those weirdos over there whatever let them do their thing 
Right. I mean, I think in general that he, uh, he, and I think we're both kind of on this kind of thought is essentially, you know, like when we come together to play games, we come together to play games because we want to not deal with nonsense. Like, you know, we want to relax. We want to have a good time. You know, there's that bit of escapism to it. Bringing in like a lot of this kind of stuff. It's just, you know, it's that kind of ruins it for me, you know, like, and I think that some companies have done it very well. And I do think that your example is a good example of one that didn't. Yeah. You know, I think Dust USA was one that handled this very well. Absolutely. It was also really important because they were, you know, what you'd like to call historical adjacent. Yep. And coming out strong on that, like, look, Nazis don't exist in our gaming universe. There should not be SWAT stickers on your models. There should not be this other stuff. <laughs> yep. Like, and, and, where I draw the line is when people start, you know, speaking about, hey, I'm going to punch XYZ person if I see them. Mm-hmm. What period of the end, whatever direction that's coming with logical exceptions. If, if you say if I see someone actively molesting a child, I'm going to punch them. OK, like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fight you on that. If I see a Republican, I'm going to punch them. If I see a Democrat, I'm going to punch them. No, mm-hmm. stop it. To wit, 90% of that is going to be bluster. 99.9999% mm-hmm. of that is bluster. But I never thought I'd be in a situation where I logged onto a company's website and the company's official policy is, we will punch you. That's insane. Yeah. Anyhow, drink some beer. <laughs> Shout outs for 2122 on a more positive note. We each... Uh, we- are going to give out uh, three shout outs. Chris, who's who's first up for you? I was like, man, this this episode got depressing really fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, like that's I, yeah, I think um, people are coming to this like for like a lighthearted kind of thing. And it's all of a sudden gonna be like, ah, shit um, like that. That almost took him out as much out of me as, you know, people talking about politics in the game store <laughs> where. Yeah, like uh, so hopefully we can uh, bring this back to a more positive note. Uh, my first shout out for this is going to be Muse on Minis. Obviously, uh, it is how I go to most of my convention. Uh, the company is awesome. I know I have an incredibly biased opinion of that, but uh, P- Nigel uh, is such a fantastic owner. He's really involved in the community. You know, he's doing things for the right reason. Uh, the stuff that he makes, he's not even like really just, ah, oh, I want to make this to make money. It's just like, oh man, I want to make this because it'd be super awesome for this game. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure if Nigel was independently wealthy, if he hit the lotto tomorrow, he would most likely just be giving these products out to everybody for free. <laughs> like, and yeah, they make awesome stuff on a regular basis. And coming to... 2023 uh maybe it'll be some uh fun little prize type things and swag spoiler 2023 cool on times i'm gonna be cheeky and say i'm gonna shout out to uh, our dead war gaming society community um our discord community has been really awesome the past two years thank you all for helping keep me and chris sane there's too many people to list you know short list just recent people i've talked to brian walter shea greg ray Oxlip, Carl, no, I'm missing people, and I apologize. But th- no, seriously, th- thank you all for uh, the continued uh, discussion on our Discord. We we, we really appreciate it. Uh, my next one's going to be uh, actually Warzone Eternal. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit before on the podcast. There, They did have a bit of a hiccup in that initial Kickstarter, um, so I knew they are coming back. They plans to bring it back. It seems like they're really taking community feedback to heart, and I'm super excited about that. And uh, Alex and Brian are both super wonderful people. And hoping that uh, we'll hear more from them in the very near future. 
No, no doubt, no doubt. I'm going to use my second shout-out to say let's pour one out for uh, Dust1947 and Wreckage, two games that we uh, lost before their time in the past two years. I'm really bummed I never got my Vril for Dust, so uh, sad to see him go, but shout-out to both those games. They're they're both uh, both a good time. All right, and my last one is going to be Ash Barker and Gorilla Minigames. Um, obviously, we've had Ash on before. Ash is such an amazing part of the gaming community. He's a super friendly guy, and the videos he does are some of the only videos that I will watch on YouTube about like battle reports and stuff because they're fun. They are genuinely entertaining, um, and I'm not bored watching them. And uh, I had a absolutely fantastic time going up to Canada a couple months ago and playing with Ash on his channel. It was such a great experience, and it's definitely one I'm going to be replicating in the uh, in the future. Awesome, man. My number one is uh, Temple of the West. I've really been digging what uh, Kyle and the team over there have been putting out for confrontation. I, I have to confess, I have not bought anything yet due to moving and uh, getting married. But now that that's all done, I am looking to invest. They have a Kickstarter coming up uh, early next week for Clash of Swords. Uh, they did Clash of Spears, I believe, or had some relationship with Clash of Spears, which uh, Zenit Miniatures was involved in. The minis look super sexy. I've, I'm actually really excited for the Clash of Swords minis on the website. In addition to the Confrontation minis, uh, I'm really excited to see what Kyle continues to do there. I think it's it's one of the best pseudo-resurrection slash new game combinations. It's honoring the past while doing something interesting and new with a game, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he does in the future. Sweet. So, uh, we have a special guest we're going to have on now we've uh we've i think razzed him for the past six or seven episodes pretty consistently he's a uh, staple of our discord community it's mr shay wallace who uh we've decided to have come on and answer our typical three questions so let's hear from shay shay do you want to introduce yourself today uh so anyways uh yeah i'm shay they give me a hard time so i'm gonna give them a hard time I like it. So we, we decided to have Shay on as our guest, so we're going to ask him the three questions that we ask pretty much every guest we have on the podcast. So st- first off, what's your favorite dead game, Shay? Uh, well, as I found out about five minutes before we started recording, with their website being down, I'm going to go with uh, Ethereum by Anvilate Games. So for people that aren't familiar with that, do you want to give like a quick uh, rundown about w- what that game was about? Yeah, so it was a... Uh... A miniatures game that's kind of played on a board grid type system, but the different island, the different parts could move around. It really uh, created moments of now you're thinking with portals when all of a sudden you realize, oh, I can put move my guys over to this island, spin it, and then move somewhere else. Just really fascinating design. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was the kind of cyberpunky themed game that you'd see at Adepticon with like a lot of clear acrylic. Yeah, yeah. It was a uh, cyberpunk themed um, sort of everyone's in this virtual world. So you had these islands of stability where uh, the models moved around, went for objectives, and then a sea of digital chaos where you would take damage. Well, some factions would take damage if they ended up there. So there there would be uh, strategies of uh, yeeting your opponent into the digital noise. Nice. Yeah, really fun game. On that cherry note, uh, what war game do you think more people should know more about? Well, I think certain people, such as a host of this podcast, should really give Marvel Crisis Protocol a try. Um, <laughs> I know it rated as a game for you but it's a good game it's not even a dead game (laughs) 
you have any other things that you think might push Owen into this besides, like, hey, it's a game. Like, it exists. I mean, yeah, that is, uh, that's really all it takes for him. <laughs> the fact that it has modern miniatures might, if anything, drive him away. He he prefers the putty sculpts of the 80s. If, if, if I can't get one-piece metal sculpts that I never paint, what's even the point of playing a war game? <laughs> I, that's true that's true but no uh eden probably there are continuing continuing rumors of its revival uh it's kind of hard to follow since those rumors are in french but <laughs> fair french game i don't speak french which makes it slightly more difficult it's an unknown language but french game very fun you've talked about it before amazing models i just find it funny that as we go into this i, I do feel we need to make our listeners aware. Uh, Shay joined us for this segment, not for the entire podcast, because uh, Marvel and Eden actually did both come up in the course of this podcast. Well, that would have been something Owen could have told me when I said I was going to make this joke, but <laughs> thank you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Continuing the tradition of giving me a hard time, I see. So, speaking of giving Chris a hard time, Shay, if you could buy any model in existence off Noble Knight and lord it over Chris, what would that model be? Lord it over Chris. I mean, right now, I think lording over Chris, I can do that just by having two functioning hands. (laughs) Fair. I was going to say, also being that I believe Shay still has my model that Owen gave to Shay to give to me. (laughs) I'm pretty sure uh, you have my uh, Toxic Cult, Father Kerwin, the limited one. No, I gave that to Owen. <laughs> did you? Oh, yeah, yeah you I did. did. Yeah, details. Yeah, sorry, I was supposed details. to give that to Chris at Captain Con. Um, and then I got snowed out, so. <laughs> uh, I, I know I did I've that. I've only seen you like two or three times since then. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I actually have a model to give to Owen that I got from Australia. Ooh. So, should I just hold on to that until you get your model, Chris? Yeah, I feel like that's fair. Okay. <laughs> Is there uh, anyone you want to give a shout-out to? Yeah, I want to give a shout-out to uh, the Columbus Gaming crew here. I joined them to start playing Malifaux, played one game of Malifaux, and so far I've gone them to buy into Moonstone, Bushido, Carnival, and one guy bought into Alchemy. So, uh, I'm inflicting grievous financial damage. Oh, they did get me to buy into Horus Heresy, so I think it's about equal. Yeah, fair, fair. (laughs) Walter, uh, you've had him on before. He's actually local to me, so he and I have played some dead games and just some rarer games. We played Darklands by Maris, which I wasn't aware many people played as a game. My old Chicagoland gaming buddy, Sean... And then the people on the Three Minute War Game Discord, that's where I hang out most of my time. And then the Dead War Gamers Society Discord, uh, which, if you're listening to this podcast, you should join. It's a lot of fun there. Aww. I agree. They should also follow our uh, Stubzack newsletter. <laughs> Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. <laughs> ring, ring that bell icon on our fictitious yeah. YouTube page. Awesome. Anything else you want to say, Chris? No, I'm uh, very good. You know, obviously, thanks to Shay for uh, putting up with her nonsense for a bit. 
And, uh, like, honestly, probably being the first real super fan of this podcast, I don't think uh, either Owen or I uh, really envisioned anyone being like, yeah, I'm going to listen to every episode. It's going to be great. And then I'm going to buy everything you talk about. I haven't bought everything. Yet. Yet. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'd have to look at the episode list for the ones I haven't bought. Clan Wars and Void, I think I have not bought into. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this podcast. It's one of my favorite to listen to we appreciate that we don't understand it but we do appreciate it i i don't understand it either (laughs) as long as we're on the same page i i don't even have nostalgia for these games i wasn't i wasn't gaming at the time but yeah i do think that was one of the most surprising things about meeting you in person at adopticom when we got together i was like man this kid looks like he's 12. i went to grad school Chris asked me if this was like a, like, uh, what was that 80s television show about like the 12 year old MD doctor? Doogie Hauser. He asked me if that was like a Doogie Hauser situation. <laughs> <laughs> no, for a lot of these, it's just, I don't know. I'd see them in the game store and I wanted to get them, but couldn't afford them at the time. So I got a PhD in engineering so I could afford all the games. Alrighty. Well, it's been a treat having you on. We actually didn't close out the uh, holiday special episode that you'll be appearing in. So do you want to, uh, Say say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> well, I'm Owen. And I'm Chris. And I'm the Doogie Hauser of Dead War Games. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Intro music is Axe to Mouth by Pulp 45, which is Owen's old band. Outro music is Control My Fate by Adorexia, which is Chris's old band. All songs used with permission. If you like what you hear, please like or subscribe. Thanks.